This is Laura Deardo with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. William Gray, System Director of Cardiovascular Services at Mainline Health and Co-Director of the Lankenau Heart Institute in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. Dr. Gray, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks, for Laura. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, asking me to be here. It's exciting. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into the questions, uh, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Well, as you said, I'm the system chief for cardiovascular services at Mainline Health, and I've done that for the last five years or so, uh, and also co-direct the Lankinaw Heart Institute, which is a um, amalgamation of um, both private practice and employee physicians across four hospitals in um, suburban Philadelphia. Um, before I came here, I was uh, at Columbia University um, Medical Center in New York City, where I was the um, chief for endovascular services for um, for the service line. And um, I was there for 10 years, and before that, uh, in Seattle, Washington, where I uh, started and ran the endovascular program, um, which included both a clinical delivery of care, research, and a fellowship. And before that, <laughs> I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in private practice um, after I left my fellowship. So that's my kind of backward um, story, and um, in the in that story is a um, several evolutions of the of the medical space one is in the peripheral vascular space where I, I kind of grew up with that field and I think contributed to it from a trial and study perspective and then uh, additionally the structural heart field um, where I again uh, kind of participated in early early component of that and and then grew up with it as it emerged as a significant component of what we do so it's been a, a terrific uh, career thus far Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. And, you know, really excited to have you and your expertise here. Now, what do you consider to be the top three biggest issues in cardiology today? That's a big question. I thought a little bit about that. Um, I think, you know, generally speaking, uh, cardiology is expanding in very positive ways. Um, I think that the big three things that I would put out there as important um, are the uh, the management of the preclinical diagnosis of vascular, cardiac and vascular disease. So what I mean by that is right now, for instance, we have uh, CTAs and calcium scoring um, and other things which can identify uh, disease before it manifests as a clinical syndrome. And, and we know that, um, or we think we know that uh, management of those patients is probably best done with uh, aggressive risk factor modification once they've been identified. Um, but it's difficult to prognosticate in some instances on exactly you know how that's going to affect the patient going forward. So I think that managing the the, the testing of uh, uh, patients who don't have a clinical syndrome but are looking for early diagnosis of cardiac and vascular disease is an important um, issue that we have to kind of try to resolve in greater uh, detail. We're getting there, and I think it's going to be an important future development. The second, I think, is... Um, the, the delivery of healthcare, um, as you probably know, um, Medicare and other payers are um, looking for the lowest cost delivery uh, uh, side of service, and that has promoted things like um, office-based labs and ambulatory surgical centers um, in many states which allow them. And that's a positive thing for patients. I think it's been a, um, a good development in terms of their ability to access care. Um, but with that comes some challenges, um, quality oversight for anything that's not affiliated with a hospital, 
has to be uh, rigorous and um, like it is in the hospital. And I'm not sure that all those systems are fully in places at, at this point. And um, I think it drains the hospital setting, and I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating for or against the hospital setting of delivery of care, but it it uh, it, um, it leaves uh, the most complex patients, the highest cost patients, and uh, and therefore the the delivery of care becomes more uh, expensive for the remaining patients who are at the hospitals, um, and it probably affects the ability to um, uh, educate our physicians. Uh, at the fellowship level because we see a selected uh, stripe of patients and they won't see a whole another group of patients as much, the ones that go to the OBLs and a, uh, ASCs. Um, and, and it also almost certainly affects our ability to do research at the hospital level because, those, again, those patients are not available or accessible to, um, to the research protocol. So, again, a lot of that hasn't really played out or been quantified in terms of the effects, but I think it's one of the one of the issues that we that we will certainly uh, deal with going forward, um, and I, I, you know, lastly, probably it's not an issue, but I think it's an opportunity where there's a real emerge emerging of specialty um, interests and uh, care. So at our at our hospital institutions, we have a very robust cardiac and cardiac and cardiology team, cardiac surgery and cardiology team. <clears throat> a heart team, which um, allows us to uh, really identify for the patients which is their best option, whether it's surgical, percutaneous, or medical, and uh, especially when it comes to structural heart disease, but also coronary disease. And um, I think that's a huge um, that's a huge uh, uh, advantage to the patient, and I'm hopeful that um, uh, that will continue to evolve to the positive. Uh, across the country, um, and and we'll be able to kind of um, dispense with the kind of classic or traditional barriers between the, the surgical and cardiology specialties, which I think is happening very quickly, again, to the positive for patients. Absolutely. I, I think that's really fascinating to think about in terms of how, you know, the uh, migration of care delivery is really affecting so many different aspects of um, heart care and how physicians are trained and research and those kinds of things. And then really, like you said, you know, bringing in different t- types of uh, specialty interests um, to, to care for the patient as a whole team, I'm sure is vastly critical for the success of patients. How do you sure. see the heart care really evolving over the next 18 months or so? Do you see some of these things uh, changing or um, really where do you see that headed? So uh, as I read your question before the interview, I, I kind of smiled because 18 months is such a short timeline um, in in clinical medicine. As you know, it takes it takes a long time to set programs in place and and to even identify opportunities. But <clears throat> I think there's probably a two part answer to that. The first is there's going to be recovery from COVID, uh, which is ongoing now in terms of um, volumes. Uh, some of the ways we do a delivery of healthcare. Um, in the hospital environment, uh, will be affected by COVID, uh, the COVID pandemic, even after it's largely receded in the distance. And so, I think a lot of the 18 months will be taken up with that, with that recovery, so to speak. Uh, at least the first six to 12, and then um, I think the healthcare evolution in, in 18 months, like I said, is too too short to talk about. But I, I'm hopeful that, and this that the some of the payment models that are currently being uh, proposed by CMS 
and currently enforced by CMS, uh, will evolve more to be more uh, refined and um, acknowledge some of the longer-term um, advantages to what might be upfront expensive care, but might be beneficial long-term, not just to the patient, but to the payment system uh, as a whole, as being cost, more cost-effective. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I definitely know that it's, like you said, it's a short time period. And, you know, when you think about maybe the long term, a decade from now or so, um, do you see things drastically being different or, you know, even more of an extended timeline to really see some of the, um, you know, these changes take place? No, I think a five to 10 year timeline is the right, the right um, kind of chunk of uh, chunk of time. Um, and I, I do think that certainly within that timeline, within five years, we're going to see different payment systems come into place. We'll, we'll put uh, both pressure and create opportunities for uh, delivery of healthcare. Um, you know, we're up against the same, <coughs> excuse me, the same issues that every country in the world, every developed country in the world is, which is we have um, a lot of people requiring healthcare, certainly an aging population, um, and not enough money to pay for it. So we have to find ways to uh, make sure that appropriate healthcare is being delivered cost-effectively. And I think those are the things that you know, you're going to see continue to evolve over the next five, 10 years. And as physicians, we have to continue to advocate for our patients to be involved with that process to make certain that decisions that are made don't really uh, cut off opportunities and um, improve quality of life, where, where we think they improve the quality of life and potentially extend life for our patients, which only the physician can really um, you know, uh, advise on. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Um, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? Well, most people who know me don't know me. I don't, I don't get too nervous. Um, I'm, I'm really not too worried about too much. I think the, the cardiology is a pretty bright future. Um, I hope I don't eat those words, but I think that, you know, that we're seeing, you know, uh, really tremendous development, technical development in devices I think a good example of that is the whole structural heart uh, movement over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, which started, you know, really a long time ago with left atrial appendage occlusion and mitral uh, intervention, but <clears throat> quickly became over overwhelmed by the uh, TAVA revolution. Uh, but the other two are, are continuing to evolve uh, to, with greater uh, access to different technologies, which will only, again, benefit the patients and their options. Uh, we're seeing a, a, a plethora of tricuspid valve interventions, which is kind of the forgotten valve, but now, now we've rediscovered it, so to speak, and um, it's a horrible uh, disease, tricuspid regurgitation, and we have, I think, developing very effective percutaneous therapies to address it, which is great. Um, I think we're going to see some we already are continuing to see evolutionary changes in pharmacologic treatment of congestive heart failure, which is tremendous. Uh, we're seeing interventional approaches to congestive heart failure with intraatrial shunts and, thing, and the like. And so, um, you know, I think that there's, I'm excited about the pharmaco pharmacological and technical evolution that continues within our space. I think if I were to be nervous about anything, it's going to be <clears throat> making certain that we make room for them in our, in our, uh, Healthcare delivery system that we um, that we use them appropriately and that we're and that they're appropriately compensated so that we can continue to evolve um, to the positive. I think one, you know one of the things I haven't talked about at all here is um, you know you know kind of personalized healthcare, which really 
boils down to a, a genotypic uh, characterization of the patient, whether it's for aortic disease, you know, uh, or conduction system disease, or even something as simple as hypertension or and some of dyslipidemias. Those things will make our therapeutic target more clear, and therefore, I think our our therapy more directed. And that evolution will is continuing. Um, you know, 20 years ago, we thought it was going to be here by now. It's not quite here by now, but um, we hope that over time that we'll be able to to characterize the patients specific to their genetic predisposition and then be able to treat them more effectively as a result. That would be amazing to, to have that ability in really um, targeting patients in their individual um, patients for what they need and being able to, to provide that for them. Now, before we wrap up our discussion, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Yeah, three pieces of advice. Well, the first is be a good doctor. <laughs> um, always, you know, I think work hard at being a good doctor. Um, understand what it means to care for patients, to work in, <clears throat> in either private practice or within a, a system of healthcare delivery. And you can do both, obviously. You can be in private practice and uh, understand the hospital-based delivery of healthcare. Um, uh, try to, uh, you know, understand the economics of healthcare to the extent that you can. I think that that will enable not only your decision-making on an individual basis, but also help you contribute to a larger conversation about what's important. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a immutable fact that you know there's not there's you know money doesn't grow on trees and so we have to figure out how to do with what we have and uh, uh, young leaders uh, can really contribute to that as they progress through their through their um, careers um, long after I've stopped practicing or contributing and then lastly uh, a little bit of humility I think um, I, I continue to be impressed with the people I meet. In healthcare, whether it's in device or pharmaceutical um, uh, fields, um, in healthcare administration, and uh, and other physicians, I think uh, I I learn from almost everybody every day. Um, I try to understand better uh, what's going on in places I don't understand or don't have any experience. And um, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you is probably the best way to do that. So that takes a little bit of humility. Dr. Gray, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really great discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Laura, thanks. It's been my pleasure.